Well, we have a low number already, and then it's time to, uh, uh, for the preaching to come, and even the children get up and go. So now it's even a smaller number. But I'm glad you're here. I hope you're glad to be here. The, today's lesson, the kingdom of heaven. It's, when you talk about a kingdom, it's interesting to me that having grown up in the church and knowing and understanding that to get into the kingdom of God is, is synonymous with getting into his church, his body, and following Jesus as the king. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's like I know all that, so when I think kingdom, I'm just thinking church. And the, the idea and the power of kingdom doesn't necessarily always come through to me in a, in a strong way, at least that, uh, I, I think I don't grasp the full impact of it, because as in preparation for this lesson, and actually just reading through even Matthew again with the idea of kingdom in mind, because Matthew is so very much about kingdom, you hear it over again and again about kings, um, even, you know, the the wise men come, where is the, where is the one who is born, the king of Israel? You know, they want to find the king. It's all about the king. The, the genealogy is introducing one who is in the line of David, the king. It's all about the king. Jesus comes, well, and even before Jesus, John came telling everybody, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Then Jesus came and he was preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. And... The kingdom is significant. And everything we do in the kingdom, it's significant. Even as I stand before you now, just kind of this, this thought that, that I'm here as a spokesman, spokesman to proclaim a message from our king. That's what I'm, I'm only supposed to convey what the king has said. So I, we come through, and I, you know, all of that, Stuff in the, in the spiritual mindset we think of as church things. But from where we're at in Matthew, it's presented as a king, kingdom thing. With Jesus as our king. And it takes a big impact. And um, if Jesus is our king, then that means we're just the lowly servant. That's all. Everybody, you got a king, then you got everybody else who serves him in one form or another, right? Um, it's like master and slave. That's That's all it is. And so we... We think of kings and kingdoms today and start discussing a little bit about this. So the question comes, if, if John the baptizer and Jesus were both proclaiming the kingdom of God is, it's near, it's at hand, it's ready to, it's within grasp almost, you're, it's right here in your midst, you're ready for it, what were they, what would have been the thought of the people who were hearing about a kingdom? What would they have been thinking? The kingdom is at hand. Okay, so that first I want to talk about that. And so I just want to go through some of these scriptures from the Old Testament. And there's a slew of them. So these are just a few. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. This is a message that is to be conveyed to David, who was the king, the man after God's own heart. So God speaking to David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant, singular, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. 
He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his establish a throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Okay, and at the, at the time of Jesus, for the Jews who had um, King Herod, and the, that he was not of the line of David. He had, in essence, bought the... He was friends with Rome. He had gotten his way in by some other means other than being worthy uh, to be one of the line of David. Even the priests were... Um, no longer purely from Aaron. So anyhow, you get this idea, okay, it's supposed to be a forever kingdom in the line of David, from the house of David. Forever. David, the great king, somebody's going to come after him that will, that kingdom is going to endure. And right now, we're not under it. It's still yet to come. That's what they're thinking. So they're looking forward to a kingdom. That's going all the way back to the time of David, even before Solomon was born. And some of this is a reference to Solomon, and some of it is bigger than Solomon. All right, go to Psalm 96. Verses just in, in the entirety of the psalm, and I would encourage you to read Psalm 2 also, the entire thing there. And I can't read them all, and I've got to keep moving. Psalm 96, 10 through 13. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exalt and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. So here's the Lord reigning, not just over the people of Israel, but over everyone, the entire world. So hear it and listen. And so there's an expectation. He is coming. He will reign. Isaiah 52 um, verses, and I've got several verses, read the whole chapter here again, but let me pick a couple. One through two. Awake, awake, clothe yourself in strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Now that was written in a time when they were, um, they were in captivity in a foreign land. Well, they came back, so maybe they were saved. But listen to this verse. It's saying the uncircumcised and unclean will no longer come into you. At the time of Jesus, had the uncircumcised come into town? Rome was ruling. So this verse wasn't... This, this is pointing to something more, another kingdom to come, just like we alluded to with the line of David in 2 Samuel. Verses 7 through 9. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, 
who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvations and says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen lift up their voice. Your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places, O Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Verse 13 of Isaiah 52. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Of course, you can keep reading there and you get a mixed picture there. Looks like the the Jews would have to kind of wrestle with that. But here is here is somebody, a kingdom that is going to come, and there is somebody who is going to lead that kingdom, somebody from the line of David, who would be lifted up. The chosen one, the Messiah, is going to be the leader of the kingdom. All through the Old Testament scripture, that is pointing to a Messiah who would come, the anointed one, the one who comes from the line of David, and he is going to have a kingdom that will reign over the entire earth. No longer will uh, Jerusalem be under the power of any foreign kingdom. Verse 44 of Daniel 2. These two verses are just powerful right here. Daniel 2, 44 and Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Those two passages. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. That's a powerful kingdom. Daniel seven thirteen through 14. I kept looking into the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Now you know what you learn here, why Jesus called himself the Son of Man. One like a Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's a powerful kingdom. Boy, Israel had something to look forward to. And they were thinking, you know, we're going to get out from under the thumb. And you can look up those other passages. They're important too. Amos chapter 9 verses 11 through 12. Zechariah chapter 14 verses 9 through 11. And you can imagine with all of these verses and all just these passages and all the prophets speaking, not just to a Messiah, a chosen one to come, but he was the reason they were so looking forward to the Messiah is because he was going to have a kingdom that was just going to conquer the world. That was basically what they had in mind. Of course, God had something a little bit different in mind. And so as we start looking at Jesus and what he came, and when he came and said, said, began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he starts sharing with them about the powerful kingdom and that he is going to be the king, he is the son of man who is to come, but... He starts telling them, especially when you read through the Beatitudes, this whole Sermon on the Mount, it might be a little, this kingdom might be just a little bit different from what you expected. And I've heard people talk about the kingdom as, you know, the upside down kingdom. Instead of a, a 
king at the top who's ruling everybody down below. Jesus kind of turns everything over. And so you got, you got uh, Jesus is still the head. He's the king. But the, the, the idea that the lowly are going to be the ones who are powerful in the kingdom. You know, the humble. It's, it's an upside-down kingdom. And, I, and also the term un, an unexpected kingdom is important for us to consider. And um, just in terms of what we used last week, we used the term radical. It's, ra- it's a radical kingdom that he was going to establish. And it was radical especially in the sense because it was radically different from what they were expecting. We're under the power of Rome... We are captives to Rome, basically. We are not our independent nation. The kingdom of God is is still being held captive, even in our own land. They wanted an earthly kingdom that was going to conquer Rome, conquer the rest of the world. Everybody would answer to them. That's what they wanted. And we can see why from some of those passages, they would get that thought. But Jesus has something more. Jesus has something bigger. Unexpected, radical, different, um, but even more powerful. And uh, the extent of which, was it's just, we're a part of it. Okay, so, so let's move on to Matthew 13. And let's just look at Matthew 13 from this standpoint of what does... Um, God teaches, what do, we, what do we learn, what do we know about the kingdom, and let's just ask ourselves some questions to consider the kingdom to make sure we've got the right understanding. For them, it was radically different from you know, Jesus speaking to his people that he was speaking to, you know, from the, at the side of the sea, you know, he's speaking to them on the shore here. What did they expect? Because what Jesus was telling them was going to be, Get ready for something radically different from what you expected. Well, what about us? Do we get it? Do we understand? Are we learning? Are we hearing? As Jesus teaches about the kingdom. So, first of all, Matthew 13, verses 10 and 11. And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. So this idea, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, the secret things about the kingdom, the things that are kind of hidden, not easily seen. And he's telling you, you guys would know. And so here's one of the basic things that just really we need to have our understanding of. The Jews thought that the kingdom would overthrow the Roman Empire, their new king in the line of David, would, they would conquer Rome. But God had a larger enemy in mind. God had a larger group of people than just the Jews. He didn't want to just set the Jews free from Rome. He wants to set the entire world and every soul free from the power of the one who holds captive, the one who holds death, and that is Satan himself. God wants to defeat evil it's evil versus good it's god versus the 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 enemy the devil himself and his his dominion dominion that he has and and you think even i can't at the at the when jesus was tempted out in the desert the devil showed jesus 
all the kingdoms of the world and said, these can be yours. I know what you came for. You came to conquer the world. Well, they can all be yours. You just bow down and worship me. Uh, no, it's not, about, it's not about that. Having those physical kingdoms, it was about defeating Satan himself. So that is, that's the, the enemy, that is the fight, that is the battle, and that is, that is what is to be conquered with God's kingdom, is sin and death and evil itself. So consider these apostles, the disciples that Jesus was speaking to. He said, I, it's granted to you to know. Okay, so now through the teachings of those apostles, then we can also know the mysteries of the kingdom. The things that we're talking about discussing today, these are the mysteries. These are the secret things, the hidden things. Do you know them? Do you understand this? Do you get it? If so, if you understand these mysteries and the great and wonderful things of God to conquer evil, do you share this? Jesus came, we're going to talk about Jesus as the message. He's the word. He's the message of the kingdom. Do you share that with others if you're a part of the kingdom? It's not just up to the preacher to proclaim the message for an hour on Sunday. If we're a part of the kingdom, then we're all carrying the kingdom message. And that message is Jesus. So, do you know the mysteries? If so, do you share those mysteries with others? And by the way, I I realize today as I jump through... Matthew 13, I'm assuming a lot in the congregation have already read it. I hope you'll go through it and read it all because some of them I'm just I'm grabbing some of these verses and just plowing through them. So check out the context and consider these questions that go with them. Now in verses 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Again, that's Jesus talking to his disciples. You get it. Verse 17, for truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Do you consider it a privilege to know the gospel? Do you consider it a privilege to know the words and the teaching of Jesus? Do you consider it a privilege that... What they didn't get when Jesus was preaching to them, all the crowds, you can get it. Do you consider that a privilege? Verse number 19. When any hear, anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and takes it away. So he's explaining a, a, one of his parables here, the parable of the sower, the parable of the, the, the soils, actually. Um, but notice what it mentions about the kingdom. It says, anyone hears the word of the kingdom. And you could interpret that. Anyone hears the message of the kingdom. The kingdom has a message. The kingdom has a word. What is the message? Well, I'd say, what is the word? Maybe your mind jumps uh, like mine does to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is that Word. Jesus is the message. Jesus is everything. Jesus is all. Here is the King, the Chosen One, the Messiah. 
um, dying, and as, here it is, this upside-down king. He isn't a king who, uh, who reigns because he kills all the enemy. He, he becomes the victor over Satan. He kills the enemy when he himself dies. It doesn't. It's an upside-down thing. It doesn't make sense in a worldly kingdom, in a worldly program, but in the spiritual realm, it does. Jesus is the message. Paul said, we, we preach Christ and him crucified. Yeah, that's a good way to become king. Usually a king stays king by staying alive. But Jesus becomes king because he conquered death when he died for us. And then he was raised victorious so we can too. He raised up from the dead. So Jesus, that's the message. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's why when we come into our kingdom assembly, um, for, I know there's another group that has kingdom halls. Don't con- don't uh, mix up any of my language with that, I guess. I hadn't considered that implication. But when we come into our meeting, this is a gathering of the kingdom. We're here for kingdom things. And the main thing we do is we remember our king and what he did for us. The king who gave his life for um, the lowly servants. That was posed well with our communion thought today. So do you know the word of the kingdom? Do you know Jesus? Um, Chapter 13, verse number 23, the end of the parable about the sower. And And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The one who listens and abides by the word of God, he bears fruit. I like the New American Standard. It says he indeed bears fruit. Do you indeed bear fruit? Is the kingdom of God in this place growing? The kingdom will grow, expand. So says the word of Christ. Chapter 13, verses 36 through 43. I do this next because this is actually a, an explanation that Jesus gives his followers to, verses, uh, to the, um, the parable of the tares among the wheat in verses 24 and following. But I'm going to read verses 36 through 43, an explanation of that parable. Um, verse 37, and he said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the terrors are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. So just as the terrors are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom. Hear those words, gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and all those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father who has he who has ears to hear let him hear. At the judgment Will you be gathered out of the kingdom and then thrown into the fire? 
This is, a, this is a fair question for just the church in general, the kingdom of God. Anyone who has given themselves for the, uh, to and, and claim Christ as their king, the question, here it's talking about a separation within the kingdom. There are, you know, and the question could come, you know, what, what does that look like? Tears, you know, weeds in the church. What does that look like? Well, you can ask all kinds of questions, but the fact is that there are weeds in the church. They're sown there by the devil. They will be at the judgment. They will be weeded out, thrown into the fire. On to 31, or excuse me, back to 31 through 33. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, in which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller, and this is smaller than all other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So, the next parable, same message. And he spoke another parable to them. The, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in the, in the three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. So in the previous passage, in the, in the sower and in the tares, the devil's involved in getting, getting involved in church affairs and the kingdom affairs and trying to mess things up. But, but we hear Jesus then give these parables that despite the enemy's attacks, the kingdom grows and spreads. Are we growing? Are we spreading the kingdom? 1344. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven is of great value. It should be received with great joy. Have you given up everything to enter into it? Have you given up everything so that you can enter the kingdom? We're going to discuss what does that mean in our class, to give up everything to enter into it. What does that mean exactly? What's the implications for us today? Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking, seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is of great value. Have you given up everything to enter into it? Verses 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, and the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So just in case you didn't get it with the tares... Good and bad fish. The kingdom will bring in all good and bad. Question, are you good or are you bad? Are you wicked or are you righteous? That is the question for us today. Verse 57. After giving all those parables in one place, Jesus went back to his home. 
And he was teaching there, probably teaching some of the same things. He wasn't well received. Verse 57, they took offense at him, but they said, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. Do you take offense at Jesus, or do you honor him as king? So, it's always a stark contrast. It's, it's always one or the other. It's a, the kingdom of God, it's an either or. Do you take offense at him? Or are you all in for him and you've made him your king and you're going to do anything that he says? You're going to follow him. Follow him, follow him, follow him. Everything is kingdom stuff. Give up everything else and just do the kingdom things. Because my king is the only one that matters. What will it be? So consider today. The idea of kingdom and who you follow. Because there we're, we're in, a, in a world that's, there's all kinds of things here. And we can make money our God, our king, or we can choose Jesus. We can, we can pick any sort of thing that brings us pleasure, and we can pick that over Jesus. But what is the kingdom of heaven worth to you? Are you willing to sell everything, grab onto it, receive it with joy? Will you make a radical commitment to follow Jesus in his kingdom? You know, our, this idea of radical just means totally different. Shouldn't God's followers, shouldn't we be totally different from the way everybody else lives? We should be radical followers of Christ because he's our king and, oh, I dearly love him. He's my king. No other is above him. Everything else pales in comparison. We follow him until our dying day. No matter what he asks us to do, we will do it. We sacrifice everything for him. Everything that needs to go, it goes. If you're not a Christian, the encouragement is simply become a part of the kingdom of heaven. Make Jesus your king. Make him your life. Whatever is keeping you from him, give it up. Follow the king. It's the only choice you have if you believe that this word is true and you're um, amazed by the fact that the kingdom is, is so clearly displayed in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the church in a totally unexpected way from what they were thinking it would. It's an amazing story, and Jesus is the center point of it all. I believe in him, and I hope everyone here will follow after him. Make Jesus your king and follow after him. If you need to give your life to Christ today or you need the prayers of the church, I, can, I ask you to please come as we stand together and sing. I will sing.